Welcome to What CEOs Talk About. Do you wonder what CEOs talk about behind closed doors? How they bring their vision to reality? How do they overcome and succeed through adversity? We share that and so much more with each episode. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, my name is Martin Hunter. I'm the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate strategy into frontline operations. Today, Brenda, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you, Martin. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. Brenda, have you been ever or have you been part of any M&As in your career? Yes, a few um, over the course of the last 30 years, but five in the last six months. Oh, my goodness. That, that is crazy. So tell me, were they good experiences or were they not so good experiences? What kind of what do you how do you feel about it? All different answers to the over the course of that time. Um, I would say some really, really well executed, others not so well executed. And what was the difference? Like what made what was the secret sauce into making a good uh, integration? Um, I think it was the purpose, really making mm -hmm. sure that the acquisition had a purpose behind it that helped to accelerate the vision, the strategy, and the overall direction of the organization. So in other words, it was purposeful and potentially transformative. Mm, very well said. And without repeating, well, with no purpose, what did you see in the ones that did not go so well? Um, in a lot of cases, it was just done for size, right? To get bigger, in other words, kind of double down, grow mm -hmm. in a particular market. But um, in some cases, the acquisitions were not led with a purpose of filling a gap or was mm -hmm. really didn't wasn't a real great fit for the organization because the organization didn't really understand what it was trying to do. And, and it's it's not funny. It's great that you've said transformational because that's what Urgio does is really helping the clients transition from one area to another as you're scaling or looking to exit. If you don't have a good purpose and and good capacity to be able to lead that process, per, you know, that process. You know, uh, having a um, an IMO is 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 okay, but having a solid IMO to be able to do it that is outsourced, that is value added, that is not you know you don't use the existing resources to do that, and that's what Urgio does best. You know, that's our sponsor for the show, and being able to do good integration, good roll ups, scaling the organization creates is created by having a good direction or good purpose as brenda has mentioned but also to be able to have the capacity and the knowledge to be able to do that so thank you urgio for sponsoring the show that's that for our sponsorship message brenda what is the title of this show i think a great title for us is Naturally Transformative. I already touched on the transformation part in some of the sponsor message, but I really think that something for us to talk about today is leveraging some of your natural skill sets to lead an organization and really driving, especially in transformation activity. Fabulous. Look, it, this is, it just naturally came together. <laughs> Brenda, yeah. can you tell us, can you give us your full name? What do you do? And then let's go from 
where you are today. Let's go back in time and give the listeners and the watchers a story of who Brenda is so that the comments and the discussion is validated. I shouldn't say validated, but there's context behind who you are as an individual so they can connect some of the dots. Sure. My name is Brenda Shamulak, and I have been um, CEO of a company called Technoplex since July of last year. Um, Technoplex is an organization about $1.6 billion um, servicing two really attractive markets, the consumer products market as well as healthcare. We provide high-performance materials, materials like fiber, foam, flexibles, um, and we really work together with our customers to help them use those materials to protect their brands, protect products, protect consumers, to really help their products be successful. And so we have a material Mm. science background that can be used to help develop some of the most innovative products. Um, So if you think about my background, I've been doing this for about 30 years, working in the industry known as packaging, um, which is really how we work together with consumer packaged goods companies, and in this case, also healthcare companies, where we bring solutions Um, to really strengthen those brands. And I have a background in marketing. Um, So my my fundamental sort of what I would call my fundamental differentiator in my leadership Mm -hmm. um, capabilities stemmed out of being a marketer. Um, I was really fortunate growing up that my undergrad was right down the street from um, a small CPG company called SC Johnson. And my old marketing professors were old retired (laughs) brand managers. And um, that's something that has always, you know, lived with me in terms of creating competitive advantages for companies. So tell us your story. How did you grow up? Did you grow up? Where did you grow up? Kind of tell us the story of who Brenda is, because I'm sure that when you were a little person, you say, hey, what do you want to be later on? I don't think like we discussed in the pre-show. Hey, I want to be a CEO. Tell us your story. Who are you? And kind of give us the, the character. Yeah, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. Um, went, uh, stayed in Chicago suburbs um, really until I graduated high school. Um, I was an athlete in high school with great dreams of um, playing basketball when I was in college. Um, so I went to a small little Division three school in Kenosha, Wisconsin, um, where mm-hmm. I proudly graduated, but um, my basketball career was very short-lived. Um, I uh, <laughs> had a reconstructive knee surgery my first week of practice my freshman <gasps> year, so that put me on a new path. So, um, oh, yeah, but my that, goodness. Yeah, so, um, but I'm the oldest of four kids. Um, I grew up in a, a household where a family-owned business existed, so I grew up in a business environment with a very strong-willed um, female um, mom leader that was helping to run the business. And I learned a lot about leadership uh, from both of my parents and having that close proximity to their business running out of our home. And what was the business? It was a landscaping business. So very seasonal um, landscape landscape construction um, run out of the Chicago suburbs and um, And really... And was yeah. it very much like traditional from when we grew up, right? Was it, was dad was out doing the work and mom was taking care of all the leadership and management and, and marketing? Was that that model or? So, yeah, it, it, interestingly enough, yeah, I think, you know, in the landscape world, if you have a lawnmower, that's kind of how the business got started. And throughout, um, my mom was a CFO 
of a of a oh. food distribution company. So she ha- she was working, you know, uh, in a professional role, and eventually decided that um, she was going to join my father's business, and they were going to grow it together. And actually, it went on record as being one of the first female-led organizations. They listed it as a female-run. Um, she was a total trailblazer, and um, actually was the first president of their. Um, contractors Association and in, in a very male-dominated um, industry, which is, you know, you don't typically yeah. find. So a lot of really groundbreaking types of things. Um, that was that was the model I had growing up. Uh, your, your, your mom must have strong knuckles, <laughs> a good voice, solid backbone, and not take any bullshit from any guy who's going to tell you he doesn't belong. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, good for you. Yeah, and you know what she didn't have in muscle. Um, let's put it this way: she had in a lot of very analytical skills that helped to yeah. use data to help help the businesses that she not only helped to run but also eventually consult um, to help make their businesses better. And so again, it was non-emotional. It was non you know non-dramatic. It was really leading um, with detail to help drive improvements. And so that's what I grew up on. I was really fortunate. It was I was trained at a young age. Influenced, right? It's just it's mm-hmm. amazing. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It's it's always impresses me how even you know they they always say the the first five years of any human being is dictates the rest of their their existence and how you grow up in the environment that you grow up. I'll say eight times out of ten really defines who you are. For me, it was. I had a father who just came overseas and did not have a lot. So he would always push me and I would get, you know, I'd get an A. Well, he says, why didn't you not get an A plus, you know? <laughs> and it was always mm-hmm. driving at a certain point it, to this, still to this day, it, it, it pushes my continuous improvement mindset, right? It's the business that I'm in is uh, it's never enough. I shouldn't say never enough. It's always challenging status quo. I say, okay, mm-hmm. are we doing it well? Are we asking mm-hmm. questions? I think it defines you really, really well. And I, to yeah, your point, transforming. Uh, yeah, so ahead. let's go more. Yeah, let's go more on to the title of the show. Why did you pick that title of the show? You know, I think I get asked quite a bit about how I got where I am. Um, what, you know, what did I have on my list of goals um, to achieve in life. Mm -hmm. And certainly being CEO was not on my radar. Um, So a lot Mm -hmm. of times it's a natural question people want to know, like how, how, how did you get where you are? Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things I learned a long time ago in the industry that I'm in, I I was surrounded by really great mentors um, who Mm -hmm. helped really bring me along, who um, to be honest, never treated me any differently because I was a woman, but, but to be mm-hmm. honest, I was one of the very few women, mm-hmm. um, but they never treated me any different. I never felt like I had, a, had to achieve anything differently, but they were great leaders and I wanted to be like them. And mm-hmm. there were things I, that they did that I could emulate. And there were other things I couldn't, you know, um, as I got older, I, I, I became a mom, I got married. I, you know, lo- mm-hmm. lots of things that in the end defined me a little bit differently. Um, I came across an article a long time ago about what separates kind of the most one, the, the top 100 most inspiring leaders um, and, and why they are the way that they are. And there were two things in that article that said were common traits. And one of them was strength. 
and the other one was warmth. It was the unique combination of those Mm -hmm. two things. And that was something that really resonated with me and something that I felt was naturally inherent in me as a leader. But I had never had a validation externally as a result of it. And anybody who's in the business world would say, you need to be strong, you need to be strong. And I I really felt like hearing the combination of strength and warmth could uniquely define me. And so I I began really, I I posted that article up, I shared it, I I talked about it, and I decided that that was something that was going to define me going forward, because that's naturally how I was. You know, I used to be the um, captain of my basketball team, I used to be the president of my sorority. Naturally, I was the, the oldest of four kids. Naturally, I was born a leader. And that's not anything that um, necessarily you can teach. If you can really use the skill set that you have inherently, that's kind of been ingrained in you, like you mentioned, the first five years of your life, you know, um, those are the things that really help. They, they come naturally. And if you can use them to drive passion and motivate others and create followers, it's something that helps you achieve your goals and your strategy much faster. I agree. I agree. I you have a different way where you have strength and warmth. We, we, we use the word courage and compassion. And so you have to be courageous for me. The world, the word leadership means to lead. Right. And Mm -hmm. sometimes when we work with organization, they say, well, they're, they're going to have to show me, they're going to have to earn my trust. And I say, well, if you're the leader, we always believe that you have to do things first. So therefore you should trust first. That's how you create that compassionate component. It's also courageous to trust first. It's not to be defensive, but to really expose yourself to say, okay, I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to trust first. And nine times out of 10, this is, I have a, a, a bit of an anecdote in regards to trust. I'm working with a rail uh, company and they say, well, Martin, you know what? How, how can I trust this individual? I said, okay, Mr. X, general manager X, how many people in your life have you trusted? Well, he says, I don't know. Well, he says, okay, so let's pick 100. How, out of those 100 people, how many have broken your trust? Oh, <laughs> two, three. And I say, okay, so let's look at the math behind should you trust first or not. To, I'm sure that your, your, your mom must have influenced a lot of other people with proper arithmetic and mathematics and showing what sure. value of activities. And to say, listen, trust first. And I think that's, that's a, a great way of, of demonstrating. What's the, uh, what kind of cardinal rules do you follow for natural transformational leadership? Well, I believe that transformational leadership comes by getting everyone aligned, right? What's Mm. your common purpose? That is not an easy thing to do, right? Being able Mm -hmm. to find that underlying underlying capability that's inherent in the organization that you can leverage, that's part of understanding the building blocks of what you want to leverage going forward. And if you don't truly understand what your competitive advantage is, it can be very difficult to get everybody aligned. So I bring that up because when I came into this organization last year, as I went around the organization, the organization had done 14 acquisitions before I got here. That's a lot of acquisitions, right? And as I went out to the customers, I found out that the customers really didn't know who we were, Mm. how to ask for help. So we were an organization that was set up to really solve customers' problems, but the 
customers had to come to us first. Mm-hmm. And as I went around the organization, so many of the people sort of, you know, they knew one part of the business or the other, but they didn't know mm-hmm. the whole business. And to me, there was a lot of power and attractiveness in what was here. It had been built, but the story hadn't been told. And to be able to give the gift of helping our people really understand how they contribute to the organization, where we're going, kind of the guiding light, was something that's not outsourced. There's no one else that should tell you how to do that. That's something you have to really be able to have the skill set to figure out how you define yourself, where you define your market, and how to really drive growth. We're all in the business for the same reason, right? And in order for us to really um, mobilize our people and help them feel like they contribute and drive value every day, they need to understand the big picture and see their place. And so for me, that's, um, you know, a lot of um, what's almost, you know, table stakes in terms of great performing companies is really just a sense of purpose. You're, I always say singularity of purpose, right? For as we see it is important to see, deliver and improve the value flow to the customer. Right. And that, that is really at the center part. And I, I don't like to use the word guardrails or guidelines. I like to use center line because it gives the opportunity to people to innovate within as long as you keep the right direction. Cause right. You, you said it best guiding light, right? So as long as you keep that guiding light, you might go, you know, five degrees North, mm-hmm. five degrees mm-hmm. East, like the, it, it, it you don't want to box people in too far up because then it becomes too much transactional and not transformational. The journey right. is is as important and they need to participate. I want to I want to, to to demonstrate to the listeners, Brenda said some really cool things. She's like sense of purpose and she says you have to understand. Well, to understand you have to ask a lot of questions. And to ask a lot of questions and define the purpose, you have to listen. And then you have to strategize and you have to take the time to think. What what Brenda has has eloquently said in in without losing her breath, there is an, an entire business plan in there of really taking the time to set clear direction facilitate the work elevate the people f- celebrate some successes those those are our cardinal rules but there's a lot brenda's been doing this for a while and she just splurted out so i think that there's a lot for the listeners to take out so give us give a few pointers because you're a master at this it just came out when you're talking about clear direction and uh, what's kind of a, if we go in in your in the history of what you've done can you give us a few examples where you were posed with a situation where you did not know where everything was and people were struggling or something yeah. that, that you fixed sure. and, and sure. give us the solution. Sure. Let, let's um, take this role that I'm in now. So I came into an organization I didn't know, to be honest. They had the same leader in place since 2008. He was an exceptional leader, very strong operational leader mm-hmm. um, and created followers. You know, people, he was very revered the company on paper when you look at the performance since 2008 had exceptional growth um, exceptional mm-hmm. growth through acquisitions um, not necessarily through organic growth mm-hmm. and but yet they had made significant investments and through those investments it created more complexity 
Um, the complexity mm -hmm. was designed because with every acquisition, it was brought in as a separate company, right? The true mm -hmm. integration of leveraging all these skill sets was a little bit confusing to most, um, to the external world, to the internal world. And mm -hmm. so part of getting the team in place was helping to break down for them what that guiding light was. So we brought in a little bit of help to facilitate that, asking the right questions, right? Because as you know, you mentioned, asking questions is important and listening, but it's as much the skill set in how you ask the questions to uncover mm -hmm. what no one's uncovered before. So if you were asking black and white questions or, hey, Mr. Customer, what do you need? Right? That's an example of a question. Another way to get at that question is, hey, Mr. Customer, I've seen that your business has evolved to be 50% e-commerce, 50% store shelf, right? And how has that impacted your business and what are some of your challenges? Those are different ways that, you know, exposing mm -hmm. what those needs are. So we went on a journey together, a 16-week journey, where we brought in a facilitator to, so that I could also be part of the process rather than facilitate mm -hmm. it. Um, where we could involve the organization and we put the ownership on the organization to define our competitive advantage so that when we were done with the strategy, that guiding light was a driver that everybody felt that they were part of, right? For me to uncover what all of the competitive advantages were wasn't up to me. It was about making sure we could harness the talent and the capabilities and the skill sets that was inherently in this, you know, at the time, 3,500 employees that were very proud to wear the mm -hmm. Techni badge. Um, but they really didn't necessarily know how to put it all together. And so one of the things that I did was I put together a picture. Um, and what I showed was that uh, was an analogy, or a very visual picture of uh, an old VW bug, like just what you can think <laughs> of mentally, right? Mm -hmm. an old, it was a cartoon of an old VW bug. And that VW bug had all of its parts and pieces. Right. It had the mirrors. It had the mm -hmm. tires. It had the, you know, the, the door handle. It had yeah, it had the seats. It had everything. Everything had been invested in that car. Every piece was there, but it didn't have a GPS and it had each of the four tires were pointed in a different direction. So the car had a motor. It was capable of going, yeah. but it was never going to get there fast enough. And what we said was, look, all we need to do is establish a point on the GPS where we're going and we get those tires aligned just like the people to all move in the same direction and we're going to get there faster. And that, you know, translating that need to help them understand what we were trying to do, which was to break down the complexity and help everybody work in the same direction. So it was a, a really important step to be able to show the company that it had the capabilities here, but we were going to orient towards rather than a customer responsive organization, we were going to orient towards markets, and we were going to really attempt to understand the needs of the markets we served. That, uh, the morale is, it, it, when you don't have a guiding light, when you don't have, when you have misalignment, there's a lot of wasted neurons, there's a lot of wasted activities, there's a lot of wasted money, because people go, They'll go one way, and then they find out that they're not going the right way. So there was wasted time, energy, and resource, right? And you go, okay, really, it wasn't really your fault. You know, we didn't have clear direction. Okay, great. No. Then they do it a second time, and they go, what the hell, right? And that's twice now. So now you've wasted twice. Now you've burned your reputation. The third one, they're going to say, well, I'm going to wait here. I'm not going to do anything until 
because I don't want to get, you know, go the wrong direction. Even if you're kind and you're a learning organization and failures accepted and all that hoo-ha is great, but still there is a waste of time, energy, and mental uh, fortitude, right? And because morale, people underestimate the power of morale, which is a, a, an individual or a group's desire to achieve a task or mission. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. achieve is a key component, achieve a goal or a mission. So business is about achieving steps. You take something raw and you modify it and you add value to it so that somebody else purchases it with the added value. So too many times people get so stuck into, um, I, and again, what I want to leverage what Brenda said is not just providing the guiding light but how do you support your people to get aligned to be able to get to the guiding line that's ginormous Mm -hmm. that's huge there's a lot of effort that needs to be put in supporting and transforming these individual helping them grow and anyways i sorry i i get very i get very happy talking about transformation versus transactional people go well just throw more money at it it's not going to solve the issue, you moron. <laughs> All right. And you know what? You bring up a really good point because achievement. So that's the other piece, right? You're, usually when you're driving transformative change, the achievements aren't always visible in it. Correct. Right? Because it feels like something, you know, especially if you're adverse to change or you don't understand Mm. why you're changing. So initially, and especially, you know, when you're replacing a leader who's been in place for so long, the question is, well, wait a minute, I thought we were doing just fine. Why? And, and, and we, and the company was a very well run organization. So the question was, why do we need to change? Right. And so you make this change and it's not just for the sake of change, but because Mm. you can see the opportunity out there that's still in front of you and you want to orient the company to go get more of what they can do, right? So being able to point to that was important, but more importantly is the communication, right? Being able to regularly provide transparent updates about positive and negatives, right? Mm -hmm. And so we also instituted an approach throughout the change that we initially um, had deemed something I've done throughout my career, but all hands calls or town halls or those types Mm -hmm. of things, right? They were done on a quarterly basis. I am really passionate about they need to be done much more regularly. So we have Mm -hmm. monthly meetings and every month we promise to the organization, we're going to share our results with you. You know, during pandemic times, you know, organizations have been all sorts of things thrown at them. We have done really, really well. Um, Our business is very resilient. And part of that is because we have exceptional competitive advantages and we have great relationships with the customers. And so transformation, if you can bring that along with you, be able to talk about new business wins, be able to talk about your innovation pipeline, the things that get people really excited, Mm -hmm. sustainability, um, your, um, you know, community service, the things that make you who you are and communicate that, then when the winds start coming in, right, it's mm-hmm. much more palatable because now you've built even more momentum. They had a reason to believe, but some of them were kind of, you know, I'm going to wait and see. I'm going to see what, how this works out. And then once you start to change and pivot to be able to deliver those results, then you've really got um, some significant strength in the team because they really understand why you did what you did it's uh 
it amazes me all the time how having somebody who has a fixed mindset versus a growth or flexible mindset, where the fixed mindset needs to say, well, and again, I'm not going to pick on engineers. There are some very good leaders <laughs> and engineers, but engineers in general tend to be very transactional. Okay. If I want to achieve a certain result, I need to learn that skill. I will not commit or same thing with doctors and professions, right? Until I have the official training, I cannot move forward where somebody, and again, it's not good or bad. It's then you have organizations where you have flexible mindsets where the, the growth and the transformation of the individuals become transformational for the department or the group, the team. And then all of a sudden the momentum is, is, grows fractionally you can't necessarily see the plant grow day in day out but when you look at it over a month over a quarter you go oh you were an inch tall you know last month and now you're two inches tall now every day you don't necessarily see the micro Mm -hmm. growth Mm -hmm. but you see the transformation within it and i think that's what you're saying as well is not just recognizing that the the transformation will it will reflect in results like financials and you know more profit more gross revenue and all that good stuff but ultimately by investing in those components of transformation you just make the entire organization so much better absolutely and you know the other thing for me is motivators what are people's motivators so you touched mm-hmm. on engineers my favorite relationships i have been around and mostly in, <laughs> in the first you know 26 years of my career a lot of mechanical engineers um, oh yeah i uh, i learned a long time ago that those were some of my most trusted relationships right yes um but they're motivated differently not and we yes. can't put them all in the same box right okay. every one of them is a little bit different but but if you think about you know an engineering mind and, you know, you talked a little bit about growth versus, you know, um, some of the other ways you can be wired. But security predictability is certainly, you know, reduced oh, yeah. risk, like all of those <laughs> things that they look for. That doesn't mean they don't get inspired by growth, right? But Agreed. how to help them, uh, how to help them along the way and get them to contribute to the journey that you're on is different than, you know, asking a marketing person to get on the journey. You know, they, they, are, they are wired totally <laughs> differently. But... They all have a seat at the table, and if they understand how they can add value, again, that's part of the alignment of the organization and helping everybody see where where we go from here. I think a big thing, too, is how how you used to operate does not necessarily predict the way you operate going forward. And so changing that... you know, is, is tough to do when someone's been in their role for 30 years. Um, so how, how to help them be successful is also a big piece of that. My time in Japan, where I learned continuous improvement in Kaizen, mm. was very, very different. Gemba Kaizen on the floor is you challenge the, the process all the time, right? You always challenge the status quo. But yet the organizations never challenge the decisions, so if you're you're my boss, Brenda, you come down and you say, that tree is purple. Well, it's actually green, but I, I wouldn't, I'd say, yes. I, I would not confront, would not challenge. So it's very, it very different in regards to what the process does versus the behaviors. Because that's one thing mm-hmm. that we always advocate within businesses is, 
you know, 95 plus percent of businesses are still human based, not robotic, meaning that the people make the decisions and do the work, meaning that there's behaviors, there's attitudes, there's hormones, there's chemicals that are involving in the decision making into, I mean, we always make fun. We, and, and this is, um, one, uh, one of our, uh, sales manager, she's about to give birth and she's about uh, a month away. And she, she, she posted on Slack. She says, okay, I just made like baby brain errors all day long. I'm, I'm off. <laughs> I was like, everyone is like, Yes, we've noticed. It's okay. <laughs> and we said, Priscilla, enjoy your time off, right? She's like, I, I mean, we didn't want to tell her that and everybody was accepting some of the, you know, slight errors that she was doing, but she admitted it. And so you see the, the behavioral side of things that is affected doesn't necessarily mean that all you can, you can implement all the systems in the world. If there's a person that is at the front end or operating it, there's always a human component to that. And that, I think that the, the term transformational leadership is just absolutely beautiful the way that you've, so tell us, tell us, uh, um, an event where you've had to be, let's say more, the, the most difficult challenge that you've had where although you were looking to be transformational, you're looking to be transformational kind of, you know, where you went to bat once you went to bat twice and maybe it's the third or fourth time that you really succeeded. Can you tell us like what was going wrong or situation? Do you have one like that? First of all? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, one of the things that I, again, going back to kind of the marketing and the need side mm -hmm. of things, I don't, typically lack confidence in the decision making because mm -hmm. the diligence involved in figuring out where you're going mm -hmm. there's a there's a routine you go through mm -hmm. and, and it's not black and white but as i mentioned skill sets and asking questions mm -hmm. looking for the right clues um, making sure that you're vetting whether or not this is the right step or not um one uh, one of the big challenges i had in this role was i was moving from publicly traded to private equity sponsored Big, big difference, right? Or at least I, I assumed. Yeah. So I, I had all of my career in training and publicly traded. So mm -hmm. one of the top packaging firms in the world. Um, I worked there for 26 years. I had been groomed really from a publicly traded side and, um, and, and, and went to another publicly traded company, significantly larger uh, for two years, running, uh, running a division, um, and then came here to run this business in a PE-backed organization. Um, and initially, what I had um, assumed, wrongly assumed, mm -hmm. was that maybe I didn't have the skill set for it. I had the growth mindset that the mm -hmm. PE sponsors wanted. Um, that was why, you know, I, I was attracted to this business. But I thought maybe the decision making would be different, or maybe the approach to strategy mm -hmm. or the approach to acquisitions would be different. So um, when I first came in, the PE firm was really interested in doing a transformative acquisition. That was the, the topic we talked about, right? And um, in, uh, in PE-backed companies, sense of urgency is much greater. Um, Decision-making is easier. Um, mm -hmm. and, but you, you need to be pur purposeful, right? So as we looked at transformative acquisitions, there were a number that were on the table when I, that I inherited that would not 
move the needle on the organization. And I had to be really strong about saying, look, time out. Those are potential mm-hmm. acquisitions for growth of the top line, right? It's, it could increase the size of the company, but it doesn't necessarily do anything for us. It might create more confusion. Let's get through the strategy process, and then we'll line up those acquisitions mm-hmm. after that. So, um, you know, asking to go slow to go fast is a term that I've learned over time, right? Go slow. I want to be patient until I can connect all the dots. And then once that picture's there, then we know how to go. And then I lose my patience, right? So (laughs) it's not that I'm a real patient person, but I'm patient in the uncovering and the discovery process. And so um, we set out to do um, an acquisition, an acquisition that was not for sale, um, an acquisition that was a natural fit for us, but organizationally, the organization could not get their arms around why this was a good acquisition. Um, it was a Latin American-based acquisition. Um, it was looked at by the outside as something that was not a good fit, but mm-hmm. I could see exactly how it could beautifully come together to fill gaps that we didn't have that could mm-hmm. help accelerate our growth. And so I went to bat multiple times for that, right? I was shot down multiple times. Um, <laughs> and and I kept, kept pushing, coming. Kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing. And um, it was the biggest acquisition that the company had done in its history. And it has been a huge, huge opportunity for growth for us. And um, one that I'm really excited about. Capabilities, skill sets, um, different market knowledge, different approach to customers, and a real opportunity for us to, to net all of our things together that create a real great opportunity going forward. So I'm, I'm, I feel very good about the fact that I pushed and we pushed really hard on that one. The the term that I use, given my military background, is force multiplier. Every mm. time we say, okay, don't just, you know, if, if you buy something and you go one for one, is it really worth it, right? Even if you get a two for one. But, and if we stay on this transformational trend, what can you buy that will be a force multiplier for the existing service offering that you have? Mm-hmm. What will be not just help you get, you know, over the wall, but what will trampoline you safely, you know, to, to greater heights. And that's the word that I use as well, because I agree with you. I mean, sometimes you need to, to get on certain radar. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll give it a yes. Cause sometimes you have to be just bigger to be on somebody's radar, right? And they've, they've mm-hmm. got very set kind of parameters. And if you're not at 50 million, you can't, uh, well, it's at 32 and a half, but there's growth. So you got to, sometimes you got to, you got to buy to get just that little bit bigger. And I'm okay with that. As long as, like you said, there's a purpose to that. It's a stepping sure. stone to where you want mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Um, I want, I, I wrote this down. I want to bring it back. Cause I think you said round table. And I think that one of the aspects of a good transformational leader is to process the different aspects to do really a 360 view of asking what do you think 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 right so i think that there's and there's a special technique that i i it's it's funny because so many people go oh that's easy but they don't apply it is when Mm -hmm. you're the leader whoever is the highest and i'll say ranked officer whoever is the the person who has the highest level of accountability around the table should always speak last 
and I, I, I want to, I want all the listeners, all the people who are thinking about being CEOs or CEOs, really pay attention when you're sitting around the table. Are you telling people what to do, or are you asking what we should do? And then, once you've listened to everything, you know, paraphrase, but set the direction. But make sure you hear everybody around the table. Not in case of emergency. Sometimes, in case of emergency, you have to make decisions. That's okay. What do you think about that? Yeah, the strength of the organization, and especially if you have, so in my case, I um, what I would say is the traditional organization that I came into is more hierarchical. So um, mm. making sure that people understood that they were invited to speak and their opinions mattered was really important, right? So as you're trying to uncover um, the beauty of the organization, you're inviting people to participate in a conversation that maybe they haven't participated in before or they didn't feel welcome to have a conversation about. So being able to draw that out is also really important, right? So mm-hmm. asking questions starts with that, but it's also uh, maybe asking questions in a different way or even pulling them aside and talking about the expectations you have for them to be vocal. So that's also really important because the value of that conversation, right, is how people participate in that. And, you know, I'm very big, we, we use the terminology servant leadership all the time, empowering the Mm -hmm. organization, surrounding yourself with people who help challenge and inspire you and making sure that you're leveraging all the talent in the organization. I saw that uh, we were going through a advanced leadership program. And I saw that in the middle layers of the organization, we had some exceptional talent, but we needed to bring that forward and we needed to unlock the talent that was there. They had a bunch of great ideas um, and we needed to get it out in the open. So I think making sure that you're able to have through the organization the ability to pull that in and have them sit at the table, regardless of status, regardless of position, um, so that and and that was where the profound voices were. As I went from plant to plant, listened to our people talk about what makes us different, um, who we are, what we do. That's what I was really inspired by. Uh, so many people don't like the term servant leadership because they say, oh, it's catchy. It's, you know, word of the day. But really, servant leadership means how how do I take a back seat to the operators? How do I facilitate? How can I remove barriers, right? Because that's for me, those are, when I when I coach some executive leaders, when I'm taking over their seats for, uh, you know, a certain amount of time, when I get to coach them in, into taking over the reins and the driving wheel is to say, you know, direction, facilitation, elevation, and celebration, meaning give proper direction, make sure that there's a set direction is that is collaborative, facilitate the work. And that's where the servant leadership really comes in. In my opinion is how do I facilitate your work? What do you need me to remove out of your way? Right. And then the servant leadership is the elevation component if if somebody doesn't have the skill set or the knowledge, how do I elevate that person? How do I take a second seat and saying, hey, how do I make you better? And that's very transformational. And I think not enough time do we take the time to celebrate. We're so focused on getting shit done and getting to the next point that we forget, hey, what did we do? What did we achieve? Is it worthwhile to have a beer and say, hey, guys, girls, team thank you very much 
you know, it's been a wonderful journey. Here's what we've achieved so far on a quarterly basis. I mean, that, I mean, that's Martin talking, right? Yeah, so true, anyways. Martin. Like that, that is one of those things. I'm so glad to know that it's not just in our industry, but everywhere. You don't take enough time to achieve because you're already on to the next problem. I, I yeah. mean, realistically, in the pandemic, you know, you get thrown, everything's thrown at you, right? It's like, what's next? Um, we had, we just finished a really good quarter and, you know, that's the message that I sent to my team, man. We we have to stop for a second. I know you're already worried about the next quarter, <laughs> But I want you to stop for a second and think about what we've achieved through all this transformation. You know, we're really building momentum and it's important to celebrate that milestone. This is a really big quarter for us. And um, so we're, we're actually gearing up tomorrow. I have our all company um, conversation and we call it Techni Talks. And um, so we'll, we'll go through those Sweet. results and I'm really looking forward to sharing them with the team. It's funny because my COO, I tend to do that the same thing. I was like, no, 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 no. We need to, you know, not wash the dirty laundry. I said, absolutely. Everybody, yeah. it, I'm always about shorter fences, bigger table. Make the table bigger. Make the mm. dining room table bigger <laughs> and shorten the fences, right? Let people in. Right, right. What? So I'm going to get challenged with if somebody in the room is smarter than me, I've done my job. <laughs> You know what, that is like, that is the, um, the biggest aha moment, you know, in, in growth, when you make that shift from, and I, and I'm a doer, listen, I, oh. I'm a doer, um, <laughs> always have been, I, I got, um, humbled one time by a 360 feedback about, and, and this was like my early years of being a manager, like first time manager with a team and my team, I'll never forget going through that feedback on the 360, which was that I only delegate the unimportant projects and I keep all the high profile ones for myself. And uh, boy, that was a wake up call, huge wake up call for me. Um, I'm, I'm lucky that my company invested in me enough at the time to put me through that because early on in my career, that was probably one of the most impactful things. And I carry it with me every day because you don't help people grow. I was robbing everyone of the opportun same opportunity I had because I was trying to keep everything for myself, right? And it wasn't, it wasn't anything more than I was just a doer. It was like had this attitude that if I want something right, I have to do it myself. When I realized that surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you is the only way to really grow and as an organization, and you want the best people in the room sitting at the table, so, and, and it's our job to bring out the best in people, certainly not to take away opportunities from them. One thing that I learned similar to you that really crushed my soul was I, I used to be a corporate jockey. I used to be on a plane all the time, working BNSF Railways, Tyson Foods, Total Nigeria, around the planet. And so I'd come home on Friday. I had a huge team that was global I come home on Friday and the first thing that I would do is go into my office and close my reports, right? I'd make sure that everybody, that my expense reports, everything was done, spoke to the team, say, getting everybody ready for Monday. And then I do that. And then I, I come out and one, one time my, my wife, my partner, Tracy, she's like, why do you do that? Like I'm away, you're away from the kids and I all week. And the first thing that you do is go into your office. And I realized that 
my intention or my act, I was being judged by my actions, not my intentions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My intention was close out everything so I can be focused on my family. Right. That Mm -hmm. was, but I did not voice that. I didn't communicate that. I didn't share that. I would just go, Hey babe, how's it going? Thanks. Yeah. I'll see you guys later. And, and she thought that work was more important when I was just saying, Hey, I just want to give you a hundred percent of my attention. And that to this day still reflects in the way that I operate by making sure that I communicate what my expectation and what I'm anticipating on doing so that my actions match my intentions. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure that you had you did not have in ill intentions with your team as a young manager. You just wanted to get shit done. Like, yeah. all right, I'll yeah. take the hardest well, ones, right? Yeah. And I had made a name for myself doing the things that I did well and realized you, you're moving into a different mode. It's time for you to help others be successful. Right. And that's really, to me, the de- definition of servant leadership, creating those mm. opportunities to bring out the best in people. And to be honest, I don't want to make all the decisions. Oh, no. right? I'm not capable of making all the decisions. I want to surround myself with people who can really make the right decisions and give them the opportunities to do that. And um, that's, you know, again, that for me, that's really how I think. I, I didn't know servant leadership had a name, to be honest. Mm. I was really fortunate to be part of an organization early in my career that that was just the operating rhythm, you know. Um, and and as a result, it's something that I always have always thrived in. And I want to create the same for everybody that I work with. It's it's funny because one of my young mentees, Andrea, who works with us, she's in charge of our service delivery. She she would say, "Hey Martin, you know what do I do?" And I'd say, "Well, what do you th- what are the options? What do you think we should do?" And she'd go on, and then she realized well, it was about three weeks ago, maybe a month ago. She's like, she slacked me, and she goes, "I just realized that I don't need to ask you to find out what my." <laughs> She's like, "Oh, I feel like I, I finally got it. You're just going to ask me what do I think?" But she said, "I still want to have the conversation because talking it through." Is makes more sense with me. I said, sure, let's keep at it. She says, here, I'm going to come up with some situations, some options for, for us to discuss. And she's like, oh, you know what? I was thinking about what you're going to say, what I'm going to say. I figured it out. I was like, okay. <laughs> you know what else? I, I love that too, because I, I, I remember having, you know, bosses who were like that with me. And, and actually, I really believe that them going, me in my case, walking them through my thought process, right, as my boss, um, that instilled confidence that they understood how I arrived at the decision. So that Mm. the next time they would let go a little bit further. Right. So it was Mm -hmm. almost like a conditioning a little bit of, I got more responsibility because I was openly sharing how I arrived at that decision and it gave me a chance to use them as a sounding board. And I really enjoyed that. And that's another one of those, you know, things you try to do for people around you is, Hey, let's just talk about it. I don't, need to make the decision, but I'd love to know how you arrived at the decision. Tell me a little bit more. So I understand that. The the, the thing is, uh, how can you replicate, right? Consistency and growth comes from replication and to be mm-hmm. able to do mm-hmm. continuous improvement is to replicate at a faster speed. So, uh, so give us, give us two pointers. We've got I think you are a great role model as much as you believe that you're not, you believe is your mom was a role model for you. I strongly believe that in the short period of time that I've known you, that you are a role (laughs) model for others. Okay. There's no way that there's nobody that doesn't look up to you. What are the two pieces of advice that you go? 
if there's if you want to be successful or your version of success in life what is first of all what is your version of success and then what are two things that you suggest others who have the similar version of success to do um well first of all you know if i think about what's been important to me and what i've learned over time is to never ever settle for anything less than high performance if you can't define what high performance is something's wrong right you have to know where you're going and sometimes you might not be there but you have to be able to define it and so for me building a high performance team driving high performance is all about being able to define what great looks like and for me that's that's been you know a really really powerful tool because when you establish the position on what high performance looks like then you can identify the gaps you have to get there it's much more actionable right um the second so i'll pause there for a second i don't know if there's anything uh really no no no. i just i just like that i we're so we're so focused on you know what's the what's the brand promise what do you see well no actually it's what does high performance mean just like i talked about it's like Mm-hmm. How can you replicate what you're doing at the highest level of efficiency without losing quality? Yeah. And is your team. So especially in my case, I came into a team that existed already, right? Mm-hmm. If your team can't define what high performance looks like, you probably need to make some difficult changes. Um, that Jeez. is one of the most telling areas for me when you're moving into a new role and you're trying to generate significant growth. Those are where your gaps are. Um, so for me, that's that high performance topic is really important. And then um, the second one that you, you asked for is really for me, again, that guiding light, um, being able to really simplify for the organization where you're headed so that everybody can contribute, reduce the complexity, facilitate the growth, get everybody really moving in the same direction so that they feel like they're making accomplishments, mm. even if they're small. Celebrate those small wins. Awesome. What is, final question, Brenda, what is the one piece of document? What is the book, the reference, the movie, a story that you refer constantly back to as a transformational servant leader? You know, I talked about it early in, um, in, in our, our communication here. Um, and that was really about that one document I mentioned about that article about the most inspirational yeah. leaders of our time, drilling it down to the simple two defining characteristics and the combination of both that strength and warmth part. For me, that's not for everybody. Listen, I, everybody operates a little bit differently, but that mm-hmm. really resonated for me as a young age. It gave me the confidence that it was okay for me to be strong and to be warm at the same time. And that really helped to define me. It gave me something to hang my hat on. And, um, you know, I, I really encourage people when I've talked to them, look, I, I share that example, but that was, that's what worked for me. I invite everybody, go find something that resonates with you, right? Help, help you continue to feel confident in your leadership style and look to really model behavior for your people that is something that's inspiring. And, and for me, that was a unique combination that, going back to our title, was naturally transformative for me, right? It was the way that I knew how to lead. It was always inherent in me. And that natural transformation was a big part of who I am. 
da, 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 da. We started with who you are, <laughs> and then we came full circle. Okay, right back that. to <laughs> it. Yeah, awesome. Good. Fabulous. Fabulous. So thank you so very much, Brenda, for being on the show. I mean, transformational leadership is one of my favorite subjects. Everybody in my company rolls their eyes every time I say it. I said, do you want to be transformation? <laughs> yes, Martin, transformation or transactional. Are we being transactional or transformational? I'd like to collect money. I know, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, great. thank you very much. I really much. enjoyed the conversation. It's always good to step out of, the, out of the box, you know, from the day-to-day. So this is great to meet you. I um, I could talk to you for hours, honestly. I agree, right? It's it's a cool subject as well. So thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah. Um, marketing team will tell me to say, please like, subscribe, and hit that notification bell on YouTube. So that's fabulous. And with that said, thank you very much again, Brenda, for being on the show. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Martin. And my name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate strategy into frontline operations. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to What CEOs Talk About. Make sure to click subscribe to get notified about future episodes or check us out at www.whatceostalkabout.com.